So we honor you. We thank you. We glorify you tonight. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here, not only amongst us, but in us, to lead us and to guide us, to teach us and what you lead us and guide us and teach us in and through that it becomes a part of our life and you empower us to live this newness of life that's in Christ Jesus. That which we could not do in our own strength and in the flesh. In the old fleshly nature now by the power that you grant unto us, the endowment of your life and your power. We can live a newness of life. So we thank you for that. Free from sin. Free from its bondage, its guilt and its shame. That we truly might serve you and in that be a light to those around us who don't know you, we might bring the light of the glorious gospel and the joy of it to others. So teach us tonight. Speak to us things that we've not heard. Show us things we've not yet seen. Bring to our understanding things that we've not yet put together, but we begin to see more clearly than we have in times past. That in the clarity of that and the vision of that, we might walk forward and see many lives changed. Many, many people come to know you as their Lord and Savior through our life and the witness of our life to others. So we give you all the glory and the honor, the praise and the thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in every heart and in every life by your word and your spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. It's great to see you all. Welcome everybody who's joining us by live stream. Why don't you greet three or four people around you? Tell them that you're glad that they're here tonight. Youth, you can be dismissed. Hallelujah. Welcome to Sunday night. Praise the Lord. This is where all the dedicated people hang out. <laughs> Those who are committed to farther and higher. Praise the Lord. All of you watching us, welcome. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Good night. Amen. Um, um, just thinking of some things rolling around in my mind. Just want to remind you, everybody who's watching, everybody who's here, um, uh, make sure that you're here next Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Pastor Marshall and Cindy Townsley are going to be with us. You don't want to miss it. Um, just tremendous, tremendous man and woman of God and uh, pastors of Believer Center Albuquerque and always bring a great word to us, tremendous teachers and pastors of the word of God. And so, you know, they're, they're in the body. They come. God brings them uh, to us so that we can receive and be further equipped from, through the Word of God. And so they'll bring a powerful Word. I know it, and you won't want to miss it. You want to bring somebody with you. Praise the Lord. Bring somebody with you. That's a novel idea. Bring somebody with you uh, who may not know Jesus. Amen. And uh, to know the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, you never know what's going to happen when somebody walks through uh, those doors. Um, Sometimes we think, well, you know, they might not like it. But if you heard all the testimonies of people who have come in and said there's something different in here, uh, and it changes their life. And so you may think, well, they won't like it, but they walk in, and the Spirit of God meets them, 
And uh, let them go ahead and get acquainted without your interruption. Just go ahead and bring them. <laughs> let the Spirit of God minister. He knows things about them that you don't know. That he can talk to them about that you wouldn't know he's talking to them about because you don't know them. Like you think you do. But he does. Amen? And so they'll, they'll be speaking a word in season. And, uh, and then Matt, uh, uh, March 17th and 18th, the Hankins will be with us, bring a great word to us. Uh, all the time, you know, last year they were with us, and Monday night, after the Monday night meeting, uh, Pastor Mark was sitting in the office, and he said, you know, you might not ever want to miss a Monday night. <laughs> we didn't have the largest crowd we ever had, but the Spirit of God moved in a really powerful way. And uh, we kind of had First Corinthians there, where a number of people had a word, had a prophecy, had something, the Spirit of God just settled in, you know, he left, and, you know, we had, you have to stop somewhere, but he said, you know, we could just go on and on and on. And so, you know, we're used to those joy services. There was part of that. But then there was just ministry from the Spirit of God in different facets of the gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So you won't want to miss that. Praise the Lord. We have other things that we're working and believe that this year, no matter how uh, uh, tumultuous, tur turbulent it may get, that God is equipping us to move through uh, situations of life and be uh, solid and stable. Get to the other side. Amen. And it was interesting, you know, um, we are in the office last week, and Paul uh, said uh, to Brother Rick, he said, I don't think I've ever heard you share that part, that Jesus simply went to the other side to deliver that man, and then got in the boat and came to the other side. And he said, but he changed everything for everybody who was passing that way, that everybody now had a freedom because he went and set that one person free. So, you know, you always get good things. Uh, praise the Lord when God's there. Uh, amen. So uh, for men, Thursday morning in Rifle, uh, there's a, a men's small group there at Order Up in Rifle. They've been having a great time there. And then uh, on Wednesday morning at 630 at uh, Lazy Bear, uh, Man Up small group is beginning this Wednesday. So men... In Newcastle Rifle, if you're in Glenwood, you might make it over. Uh, we're going to have a great time of fellowshipping around the Word, and it'll be an awesome time. Real quick, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to receive uh, this evening's tithes and offerings. Again, as Alan says, we thank you for your generosity. We are praying that everything you set your hand to this week will prosper, that this will be the best year that you ever had. Uh, we're praying for you to be blessed uh, in such a mighty way. He says this, you know this, he says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Praise the Lord. In other words, he's watching your attitude when you give. He's not just watching how much you give. He's watching your attitude when you give. And he says, I love it when you give and you're happy about it. Right? And he's saying that. He's, if you read it, he's just saying he talked to the people at Macedonia. And he said, listen, uh, those, those people in Corinth, they're, they're about to bring an offering to meet your needs. And they're excited about it. And then he says, I think I must remind you so that you get your heart set on this so that it doesn't become an obligation to you. Because you set your heart a long time ago, and he said, but it's not coming in yet, so I'm reminding you so that you'll be able to pray, and you'll be able to get in your heart what to give so that we don't come down to the bottom wire that it becomes an obligation to you. 
So he said, listen, God loves you not feeling obligated, but giving cheerfully. It says this in verse 8. He says, and now God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, supply and multiply, not just supply, but multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the produce or the fruit of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality or generosity, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. And he says, when we get in action with him, when we start to understand him, he does some pretty wild stuff. Makes all grace abound to you. You could use, I mean, we could always use all grace. Since grace is an empowerment of God, it's a divine influence upon your heart that reflects in your life. It's the favor of God resting upon you in every area of your life. Be good to have all grace. He said there's an engagement of a cheerful heart and attitude towards God in our giving. There's that really love, that covenant idea that we were talking about today in giving. But you know, back there, what we looked at this morning where Paul prayed, he said, listen, when you can gain a knowledge of God's love for you, then God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So God's never short-handed. His arms are long. And they're generous. He said, if he could just bring understanding to us about these things, he's already able. But we start to realize the ability of God to not only prosper us, give us seed to sow bread for food, but he's going to change our whole heart to be generous. So when we let him into our heart to know his love experientially, it says, man, it explodes. It opens up capacity to where God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So where we're timid and shy about different things, God starts to move by his love and brings you in front of people you never thought you'd stand in front of. He gives you a boldness to share his love with somebody, gives you the power to stretch forth his hand that signs and wonders might be wrought. Things you didn't even think of, God will motivate you by the love of God. Here it says he'll do things, put things in your hand so that you'll have all sufficiency that when somebody has a need, you won't go, man, I wish I had something to give. You'll say, I got something. Because he supplies every need according to his riches, not according to what you have, but according to what he has. His riches in glory by Jesus Christ. So it's an honor, it's a privilege, it's a joy, every opportunity that we have to give. I don't have to say we wish we could give. We know that he has given us something to give. Amen? And you can start putting that to the test. You know, if you've been here a while, I, I asked him about this one time. And so I would just go buy different things. And I was in the mall in Denver one time, and they had one of those circular things. You know, you drop a quarter in, it was for youth, some youth thing. And I just walked by it, and he said, don't you have something in your pocket? I said, well, matter of fact, I do. He said, didn't I equip you to give to every charitable donation? Is that a charity right there? Do you have something to give? I was like, hmm, I think he's trying to teach me something here. Where we think we might not have, we have seed to sow. We just need to see and sense, listen to him. Oh, that's something he wants me to give to. I have seed to sow. And we can be generous.
man, he'll start to just work a whole different idea in our life. Amen? Father, we thank you. We praise you and magnify you. Every opportunity that we have to give, Father, that our hearts are open to you, we're so glad for that opportunity. Glad, Father, to, to bring our offerings to you. Glad to be in covenant relationship with you. So, Father, as we give tonight, we're just thankful. We're so grateful for the opportunity that we have. We're so grateful for what you've put in our life. Father, we command the blessings of the word of God upon each and every one. We are thankful. We declare over their life that you supply every need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and pass those buckets. Praise the Lord. Well, ready, set, revival. And Pastor Tosh is going to... Got it? There we go. <laughs> I guess I took <laughs> off again. Here's Pastor Tasha. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> All right. I wondered if this was going to work, but it seems like it is. All right. Well, we are going to be talking about praying in other tongues, and it's going to be so good. So let's pray and, and uh, get ready. Father, we just thank you for this message tonight. We thank you, Father God, that our hearts are ready and we're prepared. Father, we know that you are, and you have things to impart to us tonight. And so we pray, Father, that we would receive, receive new things, just like Pastor Mark said, new things that will help us to grow, that will help us to walk into new areas. As we talk tonight about the purpose and the power of praying in other tongues, Father, we just thank you that you'll expand us, that you'll help us, that you'll feed us things, that we can actually help others to grow in this area too. And we just thank you so much for it. Fill us up tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, it's a subject that... You know, we don't talk about every single week, but I was sharing with you when uh, we were talking about reading the Word, which if you are reading the Word with us, um, we're reading the New Testament this year, and we're reading five chapters every week. That's our schedule. And so you can get the sheet. Some people were reading a chapter every day, and I say, yay you, <laughs> but you're overachievers. At this point, you can take a week off and <laughs> still be caught up. No. <laughs> but it's going to be great. We're reading five chapters a week. And um, if you haven't got that sheet, you can get it out in the foyer. Uh, they are in those little brochure holders on the side of the foyer there. And you can get all caught up. Uh, if you didn't start with us at the beginning of the year, then it's not too late. I mean, you don't have that much to read to be caught up. So... Uh, just jump in where we are if you want to, too, but we are reading the, the New Testament this year. So anyway, I said in, and confessed uh, when, when we were doing that that I haven't always been a read your Bible every day kind of girl. It's just not always been um, something, although I study a lot and I have a lot of things that you know I'm reading, I haven't always been a read your Bible every day kind of girl, but I have always been a pray in the spirit every day kind of girl. I mean, this is me. This is my life flow. This is, this is so much of, of who I am and, 
and where he has brought me. And so it's one of my favorite things to talk about. I love talking about him. And I love bringing this word and the teaching about the purpose and power of praying in the spirit. And when we're talking about ready, set, revival, we are talking about moving and flowing with the Holy Spirit. We're talking about him invading our life and really us jumping into him and following him. And this is so much a part of that. In fact, Brother Hagin said that praying in other tongues is the gateway into the supernatural, the gateway into all of the things. Because if we can trust him and lean on him with praying in other tongues and lend our voice to him and follow him in that way, we can follow him into everything else that he has. So it's really the beginning point of so many things. Well, go with me over to John 14, 16. And it looks like we don't have our screens tonight, but that's okay. I'm going to be reading out the Amplified Classic Bible. And so if you want to just listen, great. If you want to follow along, great. But I encourage you, write down these scriptures because you're going to want to come back um, to these places and you're going to want to look at it again. So John 14, 16, and actually I have it written down, and it says this, it says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Now Jesus was with them, he was walking with them, talking with them, and they couldn't imagine life without him. But he said, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another comforter, one who is just like me. And the Amplified Classic expounds what this comforter is and does. It says, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. He says, I will give you this other comforter who is your counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby that he may remain with you forever. I love that. This is the beginning of an awesome relationship that we will never be separated from the Holy Spirit of God. And so here we are in this time where he is in his time of ministry. You know, right now, he's the primary figure working with us. In the Old Testament, it was the Father God. He was the primary figure of the Godhead. We see him. We see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, we see Jesus. Jesus walked with them. He talked with them. But on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, just as Jesus promised. And he fulfilled every one of these things for us. He's our counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. He is with us. He's our guide into all of the things that we will encounter. And he shows us how to get through in the Spirit. So that's how we want to live. So this is his time. Second uh, Corinthians talks to us and tells us this is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit that we live in. Well, this is awesome. He is helping us. And it's not like when Jesus was here where he could only be with a few people. The Holy Spirit is in you, with you, every single one of us. Every single one of us. So Jesus said, it's actually going to be so much better, <laughs> so much better. And then it goes on in verse 17, and it says, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, welcome, or take into its heart, because it does not see him or know him. 
and recognize him, but you know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly, and he will be in you. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. We're not going to get very far tonight. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> okay, James 4, 5 says this. The spirit whom he has caused to dwell in us yearns over us, and he yearns for the spirit to be welcomed with a jealous love. That is such a powerful scripture. He said, and I think it even says something different in the Amplified. I'm going to go over there. James Uh, four or five. This is what I do. I skip over the book nine times, and then I finally find it. <laughs> All right, James, four or five. And it says this. Maybe I have it out of the Amplified, but okay. Now I went into Hebrews. James 4, 5, it says, Or do you suppose that the scripture is speaking of no purpose that says the spirit whom he has caused to dwell in us yearns over us? Oh, yeah. And he yearns for the spirit to be welcomed with a jealous love. It is the one I wrote down. But then it says this, But he gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency, and he's talking about all of the sensual desires and things and, uh, you know, how we pray and we don't see it because we're praying amiss. He says, he gives us more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and others fully. That is why he says, God sets himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace continually to those who are humble to receive it. So be subject to God, resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. He yearns for him to be welcome in our life. What does that mean? Come close to him. It's that communion of the Holy Spirit. You know, in Corinthians, um, one of the chapters, uh, I, I think it's 13 of 2 Corinthians, he says, um, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. What is that communion of the Holy Spirit? It's the intimacy. It's the relationship. It's the partnership of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he yearns for us to have. Why? Because we can overcome our flesh. We can overcome uh, emotion. We can overcome desires. We can overcome those places where we feel like our prayers are not making it with the help of the Holy Spirit. All of those things of this life He's our guide into spiritual things, and he helps us to overcome. So we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we go over to Acts 1. Let's go over there. Acts chapter 1. There's kind of a weird sound on my voice. <laughs> I can hear it. Uh, so Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start, and start in verse 4. It says, and while being in their company and eating at the table with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Now, what was promised? Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father and he'll give you another comforter. What is that other comforter? It's the counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby. So he had spoken about him and what he would do 
when he came. And now he says, it's time. He says, and being in their company, eating at the table with them, he commanded them. Now, this wasn't just a request. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't something where he said, you know, it would be good. No, it says he commanded them. He said he commanded them, like this is very important, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised of what he said, you have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but not many days from now, you shall be baptized with, placed in, introduced into the Holy Spirit. Now, this was a place where we were going to be introduced into the Holy Spirit, not just to him, into him, baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized. So then he says, uh, let's see, uh, I don't think I want to read in on just yet. Okay, what is baptism? You know, we talk about baptism, we know baptism, so there's different baptisms in the Bible. There's two words for baptism, actually. There's the word bapto for baptism, and there's the word baptizo for baptism. Bapto is a word that just means to dunk. So you could baptize your coffee cart donut in your coffee just by dunking it in there, and that's a baptism, right? Your Oreo cookies, Pastor Mark baptizes cookies in milk all the time. It's a real baptism, he says, because they're completely full all the way through and through. So, <laughs> but baptism simply means to dip or to dunk when you look at the word bapto. So we see baptism in the Bible. There are different baptisms. Uh, first of all, we see the baptism into the body of Christ, and that is salvation. We know that when we receive Jesus, this is where our relationship with him begins. It's a baptism into the body of Christ when we're saved. We become a member of the body, uh, his body, and that is a free gift. We don't have to do anything to receive the baptism into the body of Christ. Well, then there's a baptism in water that represents that commitment that we made and that place that we hold. So when we have a baptism in water, we go dunk in the water and we come back up, right? So we dunk and we come back up, just like with your donut, you dunk it in and you, you know, pull it out, or your cookie, your chocolate chip cookie and milk, you dunk it and you pull it back up. So that's a, a baptism. But when he's talking about the baptism that would come, it says that he said, John baptized with water, but not many days from now you shall be baptized with placed in, introduced into the Holy Spirit. He was not just talking about a place where we would be dunked and come up. He was talking about a place where we would be changed. Now, when you look at the Strong's Concordance for the word uh, baptism or ba baptizo, this word right here, it says, to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge a vessel's sunk. To cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, to bathe. But then there's this part of the definition. It says to overwhelm. Now, I love that part of the definition because it really shows us the fullness of what baptism in the Holy Spirit is. Jesus said in the Amplified, it expounds that we would be placed into, introduced into him. And so it means to overwhelm. But then the Strong's goes on. 
There's additional information from the outline of biblical usage, which takes the Strong's, the Smith's Dictionary, and the Thayer's Dictionary, and it puts it together into this. It's a recipe, and it's actually in the Strong's Concordance. And it says this. It says, not to be confused with bapto, which is Strong's word 911, the clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo, which is Strong's word 907, is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander, who lived at about 200 BC. It's a recipe for making pickles. And it's helpful. This is in the Strong's Concordance. And it's helpful because it uses both words. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, bapto, into boiling water and then baptized, baptizo, into a vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables into a solution, but the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable, produces a permanent change. When used in the New Testament, this word more often refers to our union and identification with Christ than to our water baptism. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Christ is saying that a mere intellectual assent is not enough. There must be a union with him and a real change. And we understand that. When we got saved, there was a real change that took place, right? It wasn't just a prayer we prayed. But when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there is a change that takes place. He wants to overwhelm our life. He wants to be a part of every single thing that we do now. He's our guide into spiritual things. And I love this because it's such a clear example. When you're in the vegetable aisle, you go through the vegetables and you see cucumbers or green beans or all of those things that they pickle. But once they're pickled, they're not in that produce section anymore. They're in a whole different section that's called condiments. They have changed places in the grocery store. They have changed. They are through and through. They're pickled. They are no longer a vegetable. They are now a condiment. And see, that's what he wants us to be. He wants us to be so changed by being immersed into his presence that we look different, we taste different, we crunch different. We, everything about us is different. Everything. And that's how it is when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So why so many baptisms, you might ask? I mean, there's a lot, right? We can be baptized into the body of Christ. Then we have baptism in water that shows what we did, that we died with him, that we were raised with him. And then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the immersion into the Spirit, which is producing a change in us. Why so many baptisms? Well, he tells us, as we read on from verse 6, it says, So when they were assembled, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will reestablish the kingdom and restore it to Israel? See, now their mind is on the kingdom. They're, they said, oh, oh, things are happening. He's going to go. We're going to uh, now be baptized, and uh, things are happening. And is this the time, Lord? We've been waiting for this time. And he said to them, it's not for you to become acquainted with and know what time brings. 
the things in the events of time and their definite periods or fixed years and seasons, their critical niche in time, which the Father has appointed, fixed, and reserved by his own choice and authority and personal power. But you shall receive power. He says, there's something that's reserved for the Father, and you're not going to know that part. But here's what you really need to know. You're going to receive power. What is that power? Well, the Amplified says this, ability, efficiency, and might. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. So he tells them, you're going to receive power, and you're going to receive this power. Why? So you can be a witness. When we talk about the purpose and power of praying in the Holy Spirit, praying with him, praying because we're immersed in him, praying in other tongues, there is a purpose, and there is power. And we need that right now. So why so many baptisms? Well, one has an eternal purpose. That's our salvation. We're baptized into the body of Christ. One has an earthly purpose. One is free to us, but one, we are to do something with it. We are right now to actually do what they were asking about, cause the kingdom to come as we pray, united with the Holy Spirit, with his wisdom, with his help, with him empowering everything that we do. There's a power that they were going to receive. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming in this baptism of the Holy Spirit was not for us to get to heaven. Jesus opened that door. Jesus opened wide that door. But when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the door to power opens while we are here on earth. So he gave us something, a gift, that now we could be uh, participating in the things of heaven while here on earth. We could be causing the kingdom to come by being placed in, baptized into the Holy Spirit. So one person said it this way, when you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit. He comes to live on the inside of you. But when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit gets you. <laughs> he gets you. And that's an argument, you know, that comes up. Well, I don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I already have the Holy Spirit when I got saved. Yeah, you do. But when you're placed into the Spirit, now you move with Him, you walk with Him, you talk with Him, you pray with Him. Everything you do has His touch and His guide upon it. And so now He has you. And that's why James tells us that he longs for the Spirit to be welcomed in our lives. He longs for that. Why? Because he sees us struggling. He sees us struggling with our flesh. He sees us struggling with relationships. He sees us struggling with things of the world. He sees us struggling, trying to connect in prayer, where he says, you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss. And then he says, but there's something that's open to you with the Holy Spirit. If you will be humble to receive from him, that direction, that guide that will help us. Well, now a humble heart receives the grace of God, and he is the spirit of grace and supplication. That's what he's called in the word of God. And he comes and he helps us. And now all of those things can be overcome because we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's a 
power that comes as we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So what kind of power? Well, the Amplified said three words, but when we look up this word dunamis, when we look it up, it's these same words, just a little bit different. It's strength, power, and ability. Strength, power, and ability. There's three components to that, just like there's three components to grace. There's three components to that word dunamis, and it's strength, power, and ability. And why do we need strength, power, and ability? Well, he said to be his witness, to be his witness. You'll be witnesses of me everywhere that you go, from near to the ends of the earth. You'll be witnesses of me. So it's not power to be weird. It's not power to, <laughs> to cause people to wonder or draw back from God. It's power to draw them to him. Draw them to him. Sometimes we reject things like baptism in the Holy Spirit because we see it as weird. You know, I thought it was very weird as a new Christian till I learned the power that was available to me. And when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, like I said, now I'm an everyday pray kind of girl. I mean, that's what I love to pray in the Spirit. I love it. So power, um, dunamis power. Now, in the detailed definition of the Thayer's Greek lexicon, this is what it says. It says strength, power, and ability. And it goes on to define that power this way. It says inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or a thing exerts or puts forth. Then it says power for performing miracles. Moral power and excellence of soul. I love that. Excellence. Praying, when I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, praying can bring excellence of soul. Oh, absolutely. What's our soul? It's our mind, our will, our emotions. So our soul needs to be affected a lot of times by something other than what's going on around us. And when we pray in the spirit, it actually affects our soul. Power for performing miracles, moral power and excellence of soul. That goes on to say the power and influence which belong to riches and wealth. So there's a growing or a status that we achieve, a maturity even, you could say. Uh, power and resources arising from numbers. So as we pray together, this dunamis power increases. Yes. Power consisting or resting upon armies, forces, and hosts. And um, Rick Renner brought that out last week as part of this dunamis uh, uh, definition. So when we look at these words, though, in just the Webster's Dictionary, strength, power, and ability, here are some of the definitions. Strength is this, power to resist attack. Praying in the Spirit can give me power to resist attack and stress. Yeah, it can, <laughs> absolutely. In fact, that's one of the best times to pray in the Spirit is when we're under stress. And attack. It's, it also is defined as durability or the ability to maintain and remain in a firm position. Capacity for endurance and might. Oh, I love that. Praying in the Spirit can bring me a capacity to stay strong, to hold my ground, 
to have might and strength about me. And then there's power. What is power? Ability or capacity to perform or act effectively. Ability or official capacity to exercise control or authority. Is there an authority that comes when we pray in other tongues? Yeah, there is. There is an authority. Because it's not just our authority. We're linked with him. And he gives us what to pray. And we stand in a place with him. He's our standby. He helps us as an intercessor. He gives us what to pray and how to pray. And as we pray, we even take on a different place of authority than what we naturally stand in because we're with him. It's a powerful place. And then there is ability. Ability is a quality that permits or facilitates achievement or accomplishment, possession of the qualities, especially mental qualities required to do something or to get something done. Oh, man. When we pray in the Spirit, He gives us an ability, an ability from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I love what Mark Hankins says about this. He says that the Holy Spirit will make you a genius. Well, why? Because we are increasing in even mental qualities required to do something or get something done. Have you ever been in that place where you didn't know what to do? You didn't know the answer. And then you prayed. And then pretty soon something just came to you. And you thought, wow, I didn't even think of that. That's the answer. Well, praying in the Spirit opens those doors for wisdom to come to us. It's an ability from God that's not even necessarily our own. This is the kind of power that comes. And the degree of power that we walk in is directly related to our surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's why we read that out of James. He longs, wants the Spirit to be welcomed. Why? Because we step into a new place of power. A place of power. And power for what? To be my witnesses. It affects every part of our life. There is something to uh, witnessing or being a witness. See, they're different. Witnessing is telling people about Jesus, trying to persuade somebody, trying to get someone to understand him or know him, even using the word. But being a witness? Oh, now that's the Holy Spirit leading us. That's showing up in someone's life. That's praying for somebody and hitting the target of exactly what they need at that moment because the Holy Spirit is working with us and God says, this is what I want you to say. This is what I want you to do. This is when I want you to go. And you do, and it meets the need. So it's not something we have to uh, uh, figure out and study out. It's something that we listen and we respond with. Living life with this kind of power is different. That's how we be a witness, and it's different than witnessing. But now we come back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So they did what Jesus said. He commanded that they go, and they went. And now it says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were assembled together in one place. Now let's stop there. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, fully come. Now it wasn't the end of the day because we know from later in the story it was 9 o'clock in the morning and they're spilling out into the streets and people think they're drunk. 
So it wasn't the end of the day. It wasn't had fully come in that it was the end of the day. But there was something that was fulfilled on this day. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, or as one translation says, uh, was fulfilled not in the day but to the day. There's something about the day of Pentecost that we need to look back. God planned this day on purpose. He didn't just come up with a random day and go, ah, clouds look good, sun looks bright, Holy Spirit, you're going today. No, <laughs> he looked at the calendar, and the calendar was set in place way before, and he had spoken of this day to them so much before. So Pentecost, what is it about Pentecost? The day had fully come. Well, it takes us back to Exodus. Exodus, where it's first spoken of. Pentecost is first spoken of in Exodus chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 16. And it says this. It says, also, you shall keep the feast of harvest, Pentecost. Pentecost, acknowledging the first fruits of your toil, of what you sow in the field. And third, you shall keep the feast of the ingathering booths and tabernacles at the end of the year when you gather the fruit of your labors into the field. Now, he's lining out different feasts. But these different feasts all have great significance. They weren't just days where he's like, hey, let's have a party. No, they were having parties and they were celebrating, but every one of their celebrations had a prophetic point to it. And it all pointed to Jesus. It all pointed to what God was doing in his eternal plan. So he first mentions Pentecost here. Right before that, he talks about Passover. He talks about all of these different feasts. Well, then in Exodus 34, he says this. In Exodus 34, uh, 18, we're going to read from. And it says, the feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you. In the time of the month of Abib, for the month of Abib you shall come out of Egypt. All the males first open the womb among your livestock are mine, whether ox or sheep. But the first firstling, I don't know why I read this far up. Okay, uh, verse 21, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even in plowing time and harvest, you shall rest on the Sabbath. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. And we just read about that, uh, the feast of tabernacles and ingathering. So here he refers to the day of Pentecost as the festival of Pentecost, or the feast of the harvest. And then he refers to it as the day of first fruits. Now, four of the spring feasts that Israel celebrated all overlapped each other. They were all together, but they all had great significance. And in celebrating these, it was actually a prophetic thing where Israel would celebrate and praise God for what they thought was very natural, but it was something that had a spiritual, eternal significance. So they were praising God and prophetically praising him for his plan coming to pass. So he was sacrificed on Passover, and we know that as we read that story right around Easter. He was sacrificed on Passover. He was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He was resurrected on the first fruits. Jesus was. And then Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. But Pentecost, what was it? 
Well, Pentecost was the 50th day. Pentecost means 50th. It was the 50th day after the Passover. Pentecost was an agricultural holiday. It was a feast that came in the spring, and it celebrated the spring harvest. The purpose of this feast was to celebrate the harvest of grain and to give gratitude for God for his abundance. Part of the uh, meaning of dunamis is abundance. I love that too. So now God says Pentecost, Pentecost. So as we're reading in Acts, we read, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, meaning they had celebrated this feast over and over and over again, and it had a meaning that had not yet come. But now the meaning came. And now the meaning is here. So it's an agricultural holiday. Why did God choose this agricultural holiday to pour out the Holy Spirit? So we know that Jesus was sacrificed on the Passover. He was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, resurrected on the first fruits, and Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. Let me talk to you about Pentecost for a minute. Pentecost, why Pentecost? Well, the, the um, answer is found in Joel, in the book of Joel. Now, Peter, we're about to read it. He puts this together. What does Joel talk about? What was happening in the book of Joel? There was famine in the book of Joel. There was a locust plague. The entire land was desolate. Every crop, including grapes, olives, wheat, barley, figs, pomegranates, apples, those are specifically mentioned, was ravaged by locusts. The cattle were without pasture. A drought had seized the entire land. And even in the midst of all of that, Joel received a word from the Lord. The word from the Lord was that God wanted to bring restoration. But he didn't just say, I'm going to restore your land. He said, I'm going to restore your land. I'm going to restore your crops. I'm going to restore your abundance. But he also said, I'm going to pour my spirit out upon your sons and your daughters. He united two thoughts here, a spiritual abundance with a natural harvest abundance. So he put those together. Now, these all knew the Bible. They all knew it. But they didn't even put together that Pentecost was an agricultural harvest holiday, and now the Holy Spirit was being poured out on this day. So why Pentecost? Why was it fulfilled on the day of Pentecost that that was the day the Holy Spirit came? Well, let me take you to a few New Testament scriptures. Matthew 9, 37. Matthew 9, 37 says this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, when he says harvest, is he talking about grain, wheat, barley, corn? No, he's talking about people. He's talking about people. So Matthew 9, 38 it says, so pray the Lord of the harvest to force out and thrust laborers into his harvest. Well, who's the Lord of the harvest? The Holy Spirit was poured out on the Feast of Pentecost, a harvest holiday, and he moves us out to minister to people 
and thrusts us out as laborers into the harvest. Harvest is not wheat and grain here. And Joel put these things together by the Spirit of God. And now we're seeing that harvest in the New Testament takes on a whole different meaning. In John 4.35, he says, Do you not say it is still four months until harvest time comes? Look, I tell you, raise your eyes and observe the fields and see how they are already white for harvesting. And that's a beautiful story we read over and over again. It's the woman at the well. And he talks to her and he ministers to her by the Holy Spirit. And he opens up things in her life. And she goes back to the town, which she didn't even want to be, you know, around the people. And now she tells them, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Is this not, could this not be the Christ? And so they all come. And as they're walking over, they're asking Jesus, do you, are you hungry? Do you need something to eat? And he tells them, uh, look and see the harvest as all those people are coming over to see him, the Christ. I love this. Harvest is not just grain and wheat and barley. It's people. And so the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were in one place and in one accord, and suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up. Why? Because it's his day. He's all about this. This is his time, and this is really the birth of the new church right here. This is the, the, the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit comes. So we continue to read Acts 2, 2. When suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing of a violent tempest blast, and it filled the whole house in which they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were separated and distributed, and which settled on each one of them. And they were all filled, diffused through their souls. Isn't that what we talked about? Being immersed into, fully through and through, diffused through their souls with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in different foreign languages, tongues, as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression in each tongue in appropriate words. Okay, so let's look at this for a minute. It says here, the day of Pentecost had fully come and suddenly there was a rushing mighty wind, a sound came, a, a as a rushing violent tempest blast, the Amplified says. Uh, others' translations say a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house in which they were sitting, and there appeared tongues resembling fire. Wind and fire. Now, the Holy Spirit was coming. Jesus told them he was coming. He told them what he would do, but how would they recognize him when he came? When the Holy Spirit came, how would they recognize him? It, it wasn't going to be something like he'll be wearing a brown shirt, he'll wear a brown hat, um, he'll come in at this time, or you'll see him, you'll recognize him, he'll have a mustache. No, it couldn't be like that. So when the Holy Spirit came, these were symbols that were familiar to them, wind and fire. How had God moved in the past? Wind and fire. Over and over and over again. They recognized him because he showed up being God, just like God had showed up before. These weren't foreign. In Exodus 15.10, what did he do? He parted the Red Sea with a blast of his nostril. I mean, 
it doesn't, I don't even think it says nostrils. I think it says nostril. And, <laughs> and he parted the Red Sea with a blast from his nostrils. So here, he, he blows his nose, basically, and he blows, and <laughs> it's like a farmer blow, and, <laughs> and the Red Sea parts, and people walk across on dry ground. I mean, how awesome, but they knew that was God, right? They knew it. Numbers 11 tells us, with a wind, he brought quail to them, with a wind, and it came across the sea, and it said it brought so many quail, they were three feet deep, three feet deep, so many quail, but how did that quail come? On a wind. It also says in Exodus 3.2 that the Lord appeared to Moses in what? Fire, a burning bush. So these were symbols that they knew. Exodus 13.21, it says, The Lord went before them in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He protected them. So when the Holy Spirit came, I love this, he came in with wind and fire, and it wasn't real wind and real fire, it was the appearance of wind and fire. Robertson's Word Pictures of the New Testament says it this way, Cloven an old verb, which means to cleave asunder. It goes back to a butcher's meat cleaver. And it says it means to cleave asunder, to cut in pieces as a butcher does meat, which means that the fire-like appearance presented itself at first as if it were in a single body, body entering the room and then suddenly parted this direction and that direction, this and that, so that a portion of it rested upon each of those that were present. The idea is not that each tongue was cloven, but that each separate tongue looked like fire, not real fire, but looking as if it were a fire, a tongue that looked like fire sat upon each one. And as you read other commentaries, it wasn't that, you know, we see in the, in the paintings and whatever, like it's a little Bic lighter over their head, you know, like we're all at a concert and we show our little Bic lighter. No, it wasn't like that. This fire came in and it engulfed them. It engulfed them. And the fire went this way and that way and it rested upon each one of them so that they were completely immersed. What does it mean to be baptized? Overwhelmed. It means to be overwhelmed, and they were overwhelmed with the Spirit, and it was like a fire, and it was like a wind, because he moves like wind, and like water, and like fire, but that's not who he is. He just moved like that. So now it's happening, and it's happening to them. And what took place? Well, it tells us in Acts 2-4, and they were all filled, diffused through their souls. They were pickled <laughs> with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other different foreign languages, tongues, as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression in each tongue in appropriate words. I love that. So they were so overcome there was nothing they could do except to begin to speak by the Spirit. You know, the Tower of Babel, every language was, uh, there were, they were of one language, and now the language was confused. So there were many different languages. 
but in the spirit, everything is brought back into a place of unity. And I love this. What happened here was so big. It was the presence of God invading earth, and it took every single language to begin to be spoken, to explain what was going on. Because what were they saying when they were speaking in these languages? It says that they were telling of the mighty works of God and they were glorifying him. Now every language is brought back by the Holy Spirit and it takes all of them in heaven and in earth. There are tongues of men and tongues of angels and they are all proclaiming the glory of God. Wow. <laughs> People's New Testament says this, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, all the disciples present. To be filled implies that the human spirit was overwhelmed by or immersed in the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit was not a sprinkling, but an outpouring that overwhelmed the human spirit. And they began to speak, for this was the beginning of speaking. Wow. It was the beginning of speaking. We said this was the birthday of the church. This is the birthday of the church. And Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He compares the Old Testament Pentecost with the New Testament Pentecost. And he says one was a ministration of death. One, they had to hide their face. Now, in this ministration, it's a ministration of life. And the Spirit is on us and we're caused to radiate. We don't hide our face, but we are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. He has come upon us for a purpose, and it is so that we can be salt and light to this earth, so that we can shine, so we can make a difference in this earth. And He is the first fruit. So when we looked back in Exodus and we saw that He was the first fruit, we might say, but I think... I thought Jesus was the first fruit of those who died and raised again. And that's true. And that feast of the first fruits points to Jesus. But the day of first fruits is the day of Pentecost. And that's the day that the Holy Spirit came. And he's the first fruit or the guarantee of that which is to come. We get to start right here and now living life with him, leading and guiding us, empowering us, speaking to us, giving us wisdom, giving us power to be witnesses, power to overcome, even mental and physical strength, might, and ability so that we can overcome in this life, so that we can be a witness and draw people to him, to his love and to his power. And it's all about love. It's all about love. We ran out of time. I still got three pages. <laughs> but we're going to pick it up. It's all about love. And I want to share just this as we, as we close tonight. We're, we'll come right back to here, and we'll, we'll start right here next time. We'll talk about what Peter said to the people, how he, they prayed in other tongues, but then they spilled out into the streets, and God gave them the words to say, and 3,000 people got saved. It was amazing. There was so much that took place, and he quotes the book of Joel, which you can read in preparation. <laughs> but I want to share this with you. It's Charles Finney. In 1821, he got saved, and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He became a man who prayed nations 
er, this nation who prayed cities into revival. Ready, set, revival. What's it about? A lot of it is about prayer. What kind of prayer? Holy Spirit-led prayer. Praying in other tongues is a huge part. Praying in other tongues is a major component to revival. Because we don't pray from our knowledge, we pray from his. He leads us to people who have a need for him. And it's all about love. And that's what Peter said when he stood up in the street. He said, I want to tell you. They said, what does this mean? What can this mean? He said, I want to tell you. It means that the Holy Spirit is being poured out because Jesus died for you because God loves you so much. He brought it all down, and he said, that's what this means. So Charles Finney, this is his testimony. He got saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit in 1821, prayed for, for so many cities in this nation, and they received revival. He was known as the man who prayed down revivals. Um, he would go in and he would pray in the Spirit for weeks at a time, just hold up in a place. So this is his testimony. It says, The Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. That was his experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I love that so much. Because, you know, my initial baptism in the Holy Spirit wasn't necessarily like that. It was just getting two words and just being so faithful with those two words until my language began to grow, till I really put faith in him to pray. But it became such a joy and such a refreshing and such a place where my heart was connected with him that I felt exactly like that. At times, being so refreshed because I could feel his love and continues to be like that. And at times, taking authority. And at times, uh, just praying for others when I don't know what to pray. But there is a purpose and a power to praying in other tongues. And this is the only time in all of the Bible that we have been given this privilege. This is the only time. And so why would we not connect with the Holy Spirit in this wonderful, wonderful way? So we're going to talk a little bit more about it. We're going to keep talking uh, about uh, how we pray, how we connect, uh, the purpose and the power of prayer. But I hoped tonight to get a little bit further, but just to really connect us to what God's heart was. This isn't something random that he just said, hey, let's try this. <laughs> no, he planned it from the very beginning. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning and they prophesied it, they praised him for it, they uh, uh, lifted up their, their hands and, and worshipped him for what was to come that we now have. Oh man, it's a privilege. And I hope as we go through this even more that you'll be equipped 
You know, sometimes we get into that place and we're like, um, you know, I don't know what to say to somebody. I don't know how to pray for somebody. I don't know what to do. Well, we're going to talk about following him with prayer and helping to lead somebody else too. We're going to equip you with the word so that you'll know where to go and how to pray with somebody so they can pray in the spirit too. I have prayed with more people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit than I have to be saved. Just because of the nature of what we do, a lot of times somebody will bring their newly saved friend, but they want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we get the privilege of doing that kind of prayer with them, and it's amazing. And when we pray in the Spirit, my life has been completely set on course because of seasons of prayer in the Holy Spirit. So anyway, we're going to have fun with it. We'll uh, continue just a little bit more next time we're together. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight, we have our altar care team, and they will be up here at the end of the service. And that's what they do. They pray for healing. They pray for salvation. And they pray for baptism in the Holy Spirit. So if you said, you know what, tonight I just felt a little bit inspired, and this is my night then come on up here and our altar care team will be here and they will pray with you tonight and you can begin this wonderful journey of praying, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you if you're born again, but does the Holy Spirit have you? <laughs> he can and, and tonight could be your night. Just like Charles Finney had a night and oh man, reading that whole story of his uh, you know, he wrestled with it and wrestled with it about uh, whether he, he was ready. And he thought he had to do something on, it, on his own of himself to, to, to uh, fix himself first. And then when he surrendered, oh, wow, what an awesome, awesome day that was for him. So for us too, amen? Why don't you stand with me? Say this as we go tonight. Say, what God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. Amen.
I was in a Baptist church, I would sing this. Can nobody do me like Jesus? 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 nobody, nobody. Say that church, let's say, there will be no Nobody like Jesus. I've tasted and I've seen. Nobody like Jesus. I've tried them for myself. There's nobody like Jesus. He's kept my mind all of my life. There's nobody like Jesus. He who keeps me in perfect peace. There's nobody, nobody, nobody. everything to me. 